we planned for a longer timeline to make the game from like start to finish than Crashlands 2 or than original Crashlands because that was a two-year game, right? But the fact is we're probably going to spend about the same amount of time working on each game. Mm-hmm. It's just that Crash, the original Crashlands, we had to spend a year working on it after we launched it. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 381 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the Game Dev Comedy Podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the web programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. Hey, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's September 15th, 2020 U. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be explicit language <laughs> on this show. Not in. There's not going to be anything implicit. Oh, about we're say what we're exactly about. what we mean. You know, we really, yeah. we really feel that we're strong communicators, and a big part of that is, you know, swearing, swearing, <laughs> being, being explicit. Yeah, you gotta say, you gotta, you know, you you gotta take that filter off, and you gotta just, you gotta say what's in the brain pan. Yep. get it out there, mm-hmm. and it's often curse words. Yep. yep. Uh, so just know that's coming. We'd just like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you very much for uh, your recurring donations to help keep our mics full of diesel. Uh, the, we're, we're looking to make the switch uh, to, to more, more green, more renewable microphones. Um, one of the rough parts about a diesel-powered mic is you need to have the generator in a different in a different place. Yep, like a yep. very uh, different place, as far know, away as possible. Yeah. Uh, and it also sucks to have them indoors because if you if you podcast too long, you die. You yeah, die of carbon, carbon monoxide. monoxide. Yeah, I had to get um, one of those big, uh, you know, those big exhaust pipes that you see really cool people with those really cool trucks who are so cool. Cool. So cool. You know, yeah, yeah, love yeah, those yeah. trucks. Sort of Smokestack yeah. pipe. Yeah, I got one of those. Uh-huh. So, you know, pipe. Yeah. So it just goes like, did you punch a hole in the wall so you can vent? I punched a hole through the- my wall into my neighbor's house just so it just uh, goes direct. It seems like that's the, oh, what's so cool Yeah, about so it. through the wall, across the yard, yeah, through their wall, into, into their house. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're like, not in my backyard. No, absolutely not. You know, <laughs> it looks so cool. But in, into your house for sure. Uh, all right. So here's the deal. Uh, we got a lot of things happening. We're blazing forward on Crashlands 2, but uh, we don't have anything, you know, hyper specific that we want to talk about as far as development. Cause just too many things are happening too fast. And uh, it's real, it's real fast and loose. So we just want to go into questions this week. We're going to do a question getting. Question apocalypse. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You guys ready? I'm so ready. Yeah. All right. So these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. If you'd like to get your question onto a future episode, you can just go there, uh, ask, you can upvote questions. And we generally try to go, you know, down the list based on upvotes. Most episodes, we only go down one question, though. <laughs> so this is <laughs> this, and that still might be the case this time. You never know. Uh, we'll see. Tricky. Yeah. You never know. Uh, highest upvoted question comes from Chalosis, who says, some parts of making a game are really fun. Some parts are really annoying. Which part of making a game feels exactly in the middle? Mm. Fun and annoying. I have one. Go. Well, it's two, and they're kind of similar, which is optimization and refactoring. Mm. Okay. Right. Yeah. So they're they're fun because it's always an interesting kind of, you know, logic puzzle to figure out like how can I make the same thing happen but better. Yeah. You and know? you're you're working on stuff that's already there. It's right? already there. Yeah. So it's just like this cool puzzle you're just like trying to like 
take this big chunk of redundant code and like turn it into something like fast or 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 find a way to memoize things where mm-hmm. which is uh, a technique where you take something that was normally being recomputed just every single frame and you make it so that the the computer remembers the last time it was computed and then only gets recomputed when you need it yeah like when, it, also, when something changes it's also more generally called caching Caching, yeah, but, where you just like you, you you store stuff instead of recompute it. Yeah, right? I, I do. I still stand strong that memoize is memoize perhaps the best word for this <laughs> situation. Yeah, <laughs> like one of the things I, I just did this yesterday. I I, I added memoizing to to build mode in, in Crashlands mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. because you know we have this this big uh, you know grid where you can you can put down built pieces of buildings and floors and stuff like that but uh, every single frame the game was recomputing whether you could put stuff on a certain grid space mm-hmm. and the thing about grid spaces is uh, it's 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 two dimensional so it's an area there's a lot of them mm-hmm. even if you only get like a 10 by 10 grid that's 100 grid spaces all check of every step right? too much yeah, yeah. areas in yeah. video games are the real Killer, you know, because like yeah. everything's an image first, right? So it's all everything's already an area. Yep. And then mm-hmm. now everything is taking place in an area, and whew, man, that stuff scales it's fast. Too much. That's a lot. So yeah. So I, you know, I, I updated it so that I rewrote everything so that now it's just like we only we only ask questions about each grid space when something important changes. You know, that would change the answer. Uh, and it's it's fun because it's kind of like. It's a it's a nice puzzle, but it's annoying because it's it's more fragile, right? Like if you just if you're just recomputing everything every single frame, then you always have everything up to date. You never miss a beat, right? But if you're now trying to make it be kind of like a event based, where you only recompute stuff when you have to, then you need to make sure that you know when you have to recompute and that you don't miss a thing. Because that's when things get janky, right? Where like suddenly you allow the player to do something they they weren't supposed to be able to do because you forgot to recompute a valid action or something like that. So yeah, that's whenever something weird happens, especially on like websites because they do heavy heavy caching. Just every time something weird happens, it's because of something wonky in the cache. Just just every yeah. time, and, and it's yeah. they're so hard to debug because because then you like you're like oh let me just rerun this right but you're just, just using the cache again you know mm-hmm. like where's it yeah. where's it coming from yeah it gets really hard to to track those things down I think on the I think on the art side it's sort of the it's the intersection of the art and uh, design side but UI stuff um, for me is is basically exactly in that fun and annoying you know Venn diagram because. It's very fun. It's usually at the, I would say, at the start in terms of, you know, you, you have a, a thing you're trying to do. And so there's like a lot of wireframing. It's very fast, right? Early on where you're trying to, you get these really dirty prototypes where you're just kind of like running through them with people and seeing if they would work and that sort of thing. And that's very, it's both very enjoyable. And then also you get to, you get to answer just like a lot of questions about how this might impact, you know, X, Y, or Z. And the thing that's annoying about it is that when you go to fully make the thing, one, it requires a lot of precision. Anything that requires a lot of precision is generally very annoying, uh, especially in the art space, because you don't have, it's your hand doing it. So it's not necessarily the case that you, you can't just like say, give me exactly that. You got to like use your, you know, your paw and somehow put the pixels mm-hmm. in the correct space. Um, which is very, very frustrating for time to time. But then even, even more is that at the very end, oftentimes of like three days worth of UI work, you'll export like 
four buttons. <laughs> so it's this weird yeah. like yeah. cuz the hard the hard work is the design of exactly. like what all needs to be present and how do you arrange it. I will say though that that since we've developed our cake frames technology, pixel precision is no longer an issue really. Yeah, it's everything's on, yeah, pretty light. I would say it's not on the it's not an issue on the programming side. Um on like the because on the art side, you have to if you're doing like a nine slice button or stuff like that. You know, if you get one pixel wrong, yeah, that, you gotta, that that'll yeah. get you. Yeah, so you yeah. gotta be very precise with it. Where you can't, you, there's not as much room for, uh, I guess, just like a, a little bit of that dithering, a little bit of that jank. Um, that doesn't matter, but in the case of UI, it always matters for some reason. Um, yeah, I will say our, our UI pipeline has gotten way easier. So now that now after my like two or three days worth of work, talk to Seth, export a few buttons, and then usually it's all in within like a few hours as opposed to previously it was then another couple of days of Seth putting together stuff and then us being like shit yeah. and you know yeah the hard part is where it's supposed to be which is just the design right? yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out how to make it a good human experience because mm-hmm. you can't really you can automate like the systems to make it so that when you then go to do a thing it's easier like it gives you automatic precision or whatever, alignment or whatever right but you can't automate just doing a good job design <laughs> something you know? yeah yeah you know, you know. Now that I think more about this question, I would say I would say every part of making games is really fun <laughs> yeah, yeah. and really annoying. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah I was actually because you're talking about design, and I'm like, man, I hate design. But yeah. I was like, design is really fun because like yeah. you got you know you get all like, this yeah. pie in the sky. Like, oh, what do we want this to be? And then and then you've got to answer the three thousand door problem questions, which yep. is annoying. You know, uh, but it's it's like it's fun to think of, try to try to tackle that. And and like mm-hmm. answer all those questions and think through all of the implications, but it's kind of annoying that you have to, you know. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I heard this question, I was actually really struggling to have an answer because I was thinking about this in between like vacuum, right? Of stuff that's neither fun nor annoying, right? And what right. is that's boring is what that is. That's what that that's what that space is, you know. Mm. Which then is annoying. To Which me, then is annoying because it's boring. <laughs> I think that's exactly it. It's like I can't handle boredom probably that's an adhd driven thing right like i cannot do it and so nothing actually occupies that space because i have to put it into one of the other two spaces you know Mm -hmm. to make it to have a motivation to actually do something but of course putting it in the annoying space that's also while still interesting like it's a it's a spite based motivator you know Mm -hmm. uh that still can get out of hand you know over over time as it gets more and more frustrating to try to do something so what I'm actually always doing with my like approach to problems and like the skill sets that I develop is finding ways to move stuff from the boring and annoying parts of that spectrum mm-hmm. over into the interesting and fun part of the spectrum mm-hmm. so that I don't have to do things that I just just hate doing. Yeah, as soon as you have to do something that's boring, you're like my Make job is not yeah my job is not to do this boring thing yep. my job is now to figure out how nobody has to do this boring mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my think, job now i think it's fair to be honest cuz like really it depends on what your scope is when you say like, a part of game dev right cuz even if you're doing yeah. concepts uh, which i think a lot of artists a lot of artists uh, early artists in particular have a like the dream job is typically concept art for people and there's a reason cuz they the the sort of early notion of what that is is like oh you get to like it's this pie in the sky you get to like dream up stuff mm-hmm. you're not, not limited by reality yeah and the rea- the actual facts is like no uh you are extremely limited by technical constraints by uh what your sound team's capability even like what animation engine you use you have to know all of these things to actually get a really good concept 
put together because yeah, it's actually not the concept a is yeah the concept is supposed to be a, a representation of what the game is intended to look like and be like and if you that's one of the hardest you, things you, to accomplish you know? yeah if you do a bunch of things in your concept work that are literally impossible or you know based on the constraints of the game or that don't make any mechanical sense you know uh, or violate some of like the core pillars of what the game's vision is supposed to be. Or even how be, the pipeline's right? going to work, right? And there's, I think this is like, mm-hmm. to me, this is what pre-production is. Pre-production is like, is this really interesting period of saying like, okay, yeah, we have, here's where we want to go conceptually with this stuff. We know that the pipeline or the tech we have will take care of like this much of it, you know, roughly. And we know we're purposely, you know, setting a target that's a bit further above our capabilities, right? I think that's perfectly reasonable to do on the concepting side in the early stages because you're still figuring out what the whole thing's going to be, right? You're establishing those foundational rules. But then later, it's like, oh no, you are, there's a very, there's a set pipeline, there's a set bunch of stuff. And so it's it's very not like, it's just not yeah. pie in the yeah, sky. Well, because, why, because why do you make a, a concept, right? Well, there, there's a couple of reasons. You know, one is, is like you said, it's the early design phase and you're basically just sort of framing out like the general um, visual the themes mm-hmm. of the of the game. But then further into production, concept art basically serves to to like take the design concept. And this is like a larger team typically, mm-hmm. right? It's to take the design concept and convert it into something that can be agreed upon between the designers and the artists, right? Um, and then the the modelers or whatever, like or the the sort of technical artists will take that concept and and turn it into an actual thing that goes into the game. And they'll try to adhere to the concept as closely as they can, mm-hmm. given the technical constraints, right? And so so it very much reminds me of, you guys know, like an office space, there was that guy who's like, I go to the customers and I get their specs and then I take it to the engineers, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. He's like, uh, it's because the customers are bad at talking to the engineers mm-hmm. and, and the engineers are bad at talking to the customers and I'm a people person and I go, I, I'm the in-between guy, right? Like to me, that's kind of a, a concept artist, yeah, right? Um but if you don't, but if you don't have a strong sense of design to talk to the designers, you don't have a strong sense of the technical <laughs> constraints. Then you you can't actually do that job well, right? And yeah. so it's well, not just dreaming true. stuff up. Right? Yeah, I mean, and this is true for any. I mean, there's no field out there that isn't cross disciplinary in at least some dimensions. There's just nothing out there that isn't. Uh, but some can cross some pretty extreme boundaries, right? And I think, I think game dev is one of those where yeah. things get so technical but also so designy and also so like they, they go really far on like all kinds of different fields right and if you don't have at least some inkling of like how each of those dimensions works I, yeah i actually want to mention this because there so the thor ragnarok trailer or not thor the uh, uh god of war ragnarok sorry because no. <laughs> right. Not, wait. Okay. Not the movie, not the Marvel movie. Not the Marvel the, movie. Not, not Thor. Not Thor. The at all. Video game. The God new, of War. Yeah. The next, <laughs> the next. The God of War sequel. Uh, tra- another trailer for that uh, came out. I think yesterday or something like that. And I watched it, and there was this. There was this moment where I just thought, "How in the fuck?" Because basically, there's this. It's like it's like toward the end. There's they're standing on like this hillside, and it's there's an eclipse that's happened, right? And it's it's Kratos, his son, two wolves next to each other. And this again, like if you want to see a to me like the most intense blending of to me what game dev is. Uh, I think God of War as a series is one of the most incredible because it's like 
extreme execution on just yeah, all every dimension, every right? front, uh, every front. And this this particular moment had had me being like, what? Just how in the fuck did this go from actual concept to they did it? Which is that the sun shoots an arrow at the moon that's blocking out the sun. Okay, the sun is in. Sorry, there's words. Atreus, yeah, the boy shoots an arrow at the sun, the, um, the which star. is soul. Which is soul, which is being blocked by a moon. Okay, when he mm-hmm. does this, and keep in mind the sky is like red and all you know spooky and weird. When he does this, one of the wolves standing next to him, I shit you not, basically turns into a rocket. Okay, goes fucking blasting across the sky, chasing the moon as it falls. The sky is ripping in half. Right, I, like I can't even describe this. Rips yeah, in half. I'm trying to imagine this, and I can't. Yeah, you gotta see it because I was looking at it because I know also that what happens in these in this game is that this is a constant shot. The whole game is shot as one sequence. So you're not fading in and out of cuts. Oh, are they right? doing that again? Oh, 100. Yeah. So this is so this is in engine. It's in engine, and in I just saw this, experience. and I I literally I've been thinking about it. This is like two days ago. So I was like, I just don't. Just how? Like, I don't know. Yeah, have it's you been doing this in lighter ways with, like... Are, did you guys play Control at all? Oh, no, uh, I didn't play it. Uh, it's, it's very... I mean, it's very cool. But that, that was... that that was. I think I talked about it when, it when I first played it a few years ago. But it was, it was like, the first AAA title that I'd played in quite some time. Um, like, you know, block... Like, big box, mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars thrown at it kind of a thing. And, and, I, and I had that s- same kind of experience, so it sounds like less so than what mm-hmm. God of War is doing. But... Uh, in that, because that game is all about like so, control it's is all about uh, spooky. spooky metaphysical realm yeah. stuff. It's it's kind of like Warehouse Thirteen if you ever saw that sci-fi show where there's like artifacts in the world that are basically magic, and there's a team of people whose job is to go like sequester them and put them somewhere, right? So this is basically like the place where they put those things. And as you move through the game, you have these like moments where you're, like, you'll come into a room and the room is like kind of eshery, you know? It's like. Mm like all the blocks have like come out. It's like, it's just in this really weird state and it then like reconfigures itself. Like when you're done doing something, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like watching this like room, like unfold and like, and like refold where I was just like, how it was the thing I do. We're just like, how is this happening? Although I think that for yeah. me, it's super liminal, which is, you know, different kind of thing entirely, but super liminal, the, the game it's where it's perspective based you now like that that more than anything i've ever seen even these like really epic things like what say like what you're talking about where i'm like i have literally no idea how but i can see like how a person can like come up with you know and then like mm-hmm. a team of really good people can maybe figure that out but like well, like looking at super liminal that shit is so yeah. wild this is the game where basically you if you pick up an object uh and then move it into space such that it could be like bigger as if it were like further away or smaller. If you like pick up an object that's far and then you sort of look down at the ground while still holding the object, then now the object is tiny. <laughs> yeah. And likewise, if you look up at a big space and let go of it, then now it's fucking huge and it like crashes down to the yeah. ground. And it's like, yeah, it's the same thing. Where you just and go, you use it and what? it's just puzzles. <laughs> it's puzzles based off of like fucking oh, yeah. with. I like, mean, this this was kind of like when, when Portal first appeared. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which was actually originally a, a small... Um, a student game called Narbacular Drop. Yeah, did you play that but, one? I, I actually played it. I did, yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, the, the concept is the same, which was that idea of like, you, you can at any, you can like create these doorways anywhere and you can look through one of them and mm-hmm. see through it. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you have them sort of facing each other, then it becomes like this infinite 
mirror kind of effect, right? Except like you're looking, you know, you're like looking at the back of your own head, right? (laughs) And then it's just going infinitely. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, those are the kinds of things that just, you know, you take it for granted once you've seen it a few times, Mm -hmm. right? But, but at the the first time you see it, you're just like, this is, this is nuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's a reason too where like Portal is the only game that has, like there hasn't been another game where it's like, arbitrarily placing portals that you can just like see and then step through was a core part is of the game. Yeah. Like is the game, right? Well, I think actually a lot of that comes down to one of the, I feel like the, the vibe based on what I hear other game developers talking about and especially newcomers, you know, is it feels like level design is this kind of weird spot where it's, I don't know, it feels like an unsung hero, you know, of the, oh, yeah. of the process. Cause like, I think that's maybe the hardest job in game dev is Taking all of the stuff that is available and like converting that into an experience, an experience that is <laughs> yeah. that is good, and a progression of experiences that satisfy certain criteria using all the the tools at your disposal, right? Because like as like Sam's working on the world in Crashlands too, and Sam and Sam and Jenny are like putting the story together and stuff, right? Uh, or as Sam was in particular was working on like level head, right? And it's it's the blank canvas effect mm-hmm. with extreme sort of constraint also on top, right? It's like you just have to know so much, but then in the end, you're still trying to deliver some kind of particular experience while also preventing all kinds of other experiences from happening, mm-hmm. you know? Like it's, that's a- uh, Yeah, it's pretty hard. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's well, pretty there's, hard. There's this line from, uh, there's this Miyazaki documentary, the guy who did- uh, you know, all those great animated movies. So Ponyo and a bunch of other stuff. Um, spirited away. And there's, he's hilarious because he's like chain smoking just like the whole time. And he's kind of angsty, but he makes these, like, <laughs> he directs these incredible, like very lighthearted, wholesome <laughs> films. Um, and he just says at one point, they're like, how, you know, how, how's this going? He's like, it's just, it's such a hassle. Oh, this is a hassle. Like that's the word he uses to describe <laughs> This incredible stuff that he does, right? It's, it's just a hassle. And yeah, he's just chain smoking, you know, and he's like, oh, it's a fucking hassle. And it's mm-hmm. hilarious because it's true. I mean, yeah, I think I think all of it's fun and annoying all at the same time, depending on where you bound the piece that you're talking about. Yeah, is it just yeah. like the three hours you spend drawing? That's, that can be pretty fun, you know? Is it then slicing up that drawing and putting it into spines so you can animate? Not particularly fun. It's a bit of a hassle. A bit of a hassle. <laughs> uh, but then you get to go game. animate it. Which is like yeah, also fun. a hassle, but then you get to see the thing come into life, which is fun, you know. Like, but then you put it in the game, and then like some of it doesn't quite work the way you thought. And it's yeah, pretty hassle annoying. Hassle game. Yep. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. It's just constant. It's just it's just hassles all the way down. <laughs> yeah, yep, it really no. is. Right, next question comes from Ray Boblio, who says, "Hi, you guys are just the awesomest to listen to. Oh, thanks. thanks. Appreciate it. So sweet." Thanks for a great pod. So to my question, in episode 98, which was... Oh, shit. Years uh, ago. Six years ago. <laughs> it was a while ago. Five years ago. In episode 98, you were talking about the demon robot armies you were spawning to do your bidding, like upload podcasts to YouTube, etc. Mm. Sure, it was some time ago, but I'm assuming you are still robomancing away. What tech or programming language are you using for your robomancing needs? This is an Adam thing, for sure. Adam's yeah, our robomancer still. Yeah, it's still kind of my wheelhouse, but I've been trying to make things more uh, accessible to the team as a whole for doing, for automating things, right? Mm-hmm. So in my earlier days, I, my, I would always basically like, everybody needs to learn how to become at least to some extent a programmer, get some like basic programming skills in because with a little bit of knowledge now, so you get to start just automating and raising armies, right? Um, but 
Everyone's got shit to do. Right? Everyone's got things they need doing. And they just don't. And very have often, a little bit of knowledge isn't quite enough <laughs> to do anything. To automate no, something. No, it really well. isn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, in the reality is, like, I, I started in, in programming to automate my work. Like, that was the whole, that was like the mm. motivating factor, you know? And I was able to automate little bits and pieces very early on, but that's because, like, I was doing science stuff. And so I needed to crunch numbers. And, like, numbers, these, that's, that's a straightforward yep. thing, right? Almost anything else you want to do, that's like a year of programming under your belt first, you know. <laughs> so, so I've been trying to to lean more into tools like um, uh, Google make Sheets with yeah. like AppScript and then Make.com, which formerly Integromat. Uh, so, if anybody's ever used like a service like Zapier, there's a there's a handful of them. But it's basically about sticking one web service to another web service and letting somebody else deal with the details of how to make that work. Um, and like Integromat is, I think, the best example out there in terms of what it lets you do, how much you can kind of like automate things and so on. Um, so anyway, so I've been trying to kind of push the team towards that kind of stuff, uh, which has been good for the team because we've been seeing kind of more and more things sort of pop up, making use of pre-existing kinds of tools Solutions. designed for this purpose, right? Like general purpose automation systems. Um, so I would highly recommend for anybody with a team and this is whether or not you already know how to program because presumably you're trying to program some other stuff for some reason. Right. Yeah. And so if you can avoid like building out entire custom tools, cause they have to worry about deployment and like version management and like all kinds of stuff. If you can avoid that. Then that's ideal. ideal. <laughs> as, as long as the, your needs can be met by the stuff you're trying to do. And, and they, and the stuff that's out there really can meet just a fuckload do a lot. of the, stuff that you need to do. So highly recommend make.com, which on the one hand, I'm very impressed that they managed to buy that domain. But on the other hand, worst fucking name choice. Ungoogleable. You got to Google make. Yeah. Look, you're not not (laughs) a terrible choice, Uh, but it's very cool. Um, Zapier, I I don't think scales well. I think the user experience is bad, but it is more user friendly for the very early Aspect. Like someone, someone brand new to trying to think about automating stuff uh, might do better there, but um, it doesn't scale well practically or from a cost perspective. Um, and then, though, and then a Google Apps Script is another great one where you can actually add scripting sort of piecemeal over time into things like Google Docs, and Google Sheets, and stuff. So that's where I'm trying to have like kind of the team push things, mm-hmm. and then otherwise. For my own stuff, I'm still using what I have been for the past few years. I don't want to go into the into the weeds on it, but the core idea is that I'm trying to stay within as like narrow of a tech as a of a language scope as I can. Mm-hmm. So for any given programming language, you can write stuff on a subset of systems. You know, like maybe this only works on Mac. Maybe this only works on whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe you mm-hmm. know that kind of thing. So a long time ago, I decided to go into the to the JavaScript stack because you have things like Node or Dino and these other things that let you run JavaScript outside of the browser because normally that's the only place that it lives. But also, I need to do stuff in the browser so then I can stay in the same language. Mm-hmm. So, that's, so you can do web stuff and non-web yeah, stuff exactly. so without that's like, having to learn so like, a whole new language. Right. Yeah. So I try to kind of stay in that space and then, and then that way I can stay in the kind of the web technology space but still make things that can work on uh, just anything on any machine. So, so yeah, so all of our tools are still built that way. And then otherwise just using automations attached to like our GitHub and, and like where all the code Ooh, is yeah. actually stored and stuff. Yeah. So. Get, get, yeah. GitHub, uh, 
just all the different web hooks and automations they have in there. Yeah. Pretty good way to robomance. There, yeah, and, and we've actually moved a ton of stuff over to that. So, so our entire game pipe, which we basically Seth can trigger. Basically, Seth can say, hey, the, the game is now in a state where I want to version it and deploy it so that QA can do tests and stuff, right? And so he just has to run a command to do that. And then a whole bunch of things cascade from there, but it all basically starts with the code lands back in GitHub where it's all stored and then triggers a whole bunch of automations that are run from there to like spawn a Windows machine, spawn a Mac machine and like have them build the game and then have the Windows machine create a VM, a virtual machine for Android and like make a build for that and, and so on and so forth, right? Uh, and we've moved as much stuff as we can kind of into that space because then all of the code and then the code that manages the code, right? Like all of it is in the same place, which over time, what I found is that as we make like lots and lots of tools and like have lots of little projects here and there, it just starts to get so spread out and diffuse that maintaining and managing that just turns into yeah, the a bigger, complete nightmare. The bigger the army gets, the more you need some good organizational controls or good yeah. organizational schemas to keep it actually functioning. Yeah, it gets it gets very hard to manage. This is why you know b- battles and wars are won and lost on logistics. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you may have an army of a million people, but if you march them somewhere and then you can't, like, how do you how do you feed them? How do you keep them housed and sheltered and healthy? It's like, well, you know, if you can't do that, then it doesn't matter that you've got a million people because yep. you can't go anywhere with them, right? So I think that's the core idea of the entire tools, like logic, right? Is that it doesn't matter if your company or your doesn't team or matter whatever, what like, has, has this cool thing. If you can't use it. <laughs> yeah. So you, and that's kind of the limitation that we've hit with all the stuff that like I've been doing is it's all command line as in like you open up a terminal and it's just text and you just type in like a computer hacker, right? Like that's – everything is kind of limited to that space because it's just so much faster and easier to develop there. Um, and, uh, and so we are moving into like, let's try to put some GUIs on, put some UIs on stuff, you know, that we, that we make. Um, but again, it can all stay within web tech. So then that's the advantage of having, having the stack where I'm just using one ish language for every component. Yeah. So JavaScript for the most part. Yeah. JavaScript stuff. Um, yeah. And then again, Integromat and make. Yeah. Or no, I guess those are the same thing. Yeah. Make and Zapier. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I highly yeah. recommend trying out make.com. Like it's, it's the only reasonably priced, but also like you have a lot of control <laughs> service that I've found so far. So uh, you can do a lot of cool stuff with it. So definitely check that out. Worth checking out. Yep. Our next question comes from Gibbs who says, what surprised you the most about running your own video game company? Was anything easier than you expected? What was harder? Mm. Ooh. What was the most surprising? I'd say the surprising thing was uh, was that it was way easier to make video games than I thought it would be. It's not mm. not to say that it is easy, but it. I see where you're going. It seemed like a kind of impervious, like right, like it seems literally. Impossible. How does it? Yeah, like how does this thing come to get? You know, it's like Sam was talking about seeing yeah. this thing in God War, and you're like, what? What did you the know. fuck? How does that happen? Yeah. But yeah, but the fact is, like, you know, some people took some time and figured out how to do that, but they know that now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they also could have just not done that. They could have done something else. And it maybe wouldn't well, have that's been the spectacular. Key. Yeah. But, the, you know. right. the key uh, is that you have choices that you get to make because you're, like, in game dev, your choice isn't 
like do this thing that seems impossible or now you can't make a game right it's mm-hmm. do that thing if you can figure it out or come up with something else instead like that's the actual path and so it actually provides lots of leeway as long as you have a lot of control over what the game is going to be yeah and I think the the hard thing is just like we were talking about in the previous question is is just the logistics right which mm-hmm. is you know we we now have six games out and we're working on working on the seventh and those games are are in maintenance mode um where they we got to keep them running we keep them you know keep them up to date on the different platforms and stuff but maintaining that many games on that many platforms um can be a real problem right and then there, then there's the logistics of just development like how do you get uh how do you coordinate with a localization team to get you know, 10 languages into your game? How do you communicate with other, with like business partners and platforms to try to get distribution deals for your game? Um, you know, ha- having the game and making the game, those are not that, not that tough. Well, I would say they're, they're more straightforward, I guess. Is right, yeah. Better, right, yeah. Where it's like, it's yeah. not that it's yeah, easy, but yeah, but it's straightforward. But you don't, yeah. you don't have to coordinate so many external factors outside of your control to develop your game. Uh, but yeah. to make it commercially marketable and able to be localized and distributed and and to like have it QA tested and you know all that stuff, um, it just takes a ton of tooling and communication and tech and logistics and and planning and systems. You know, um, I think this is also that, where you get the uh, the like the intense Dunning Kruger of people who love games but have never like even yeah. come near the making of games part. You know, where if you have no, if your only exposure to games is is playing them and see how cool the shit is that people have figured out on the other side of them having figured it out, right? Then it becomes very easy to think, oh yeah, like that must be easy, like that must be straightforward, right? And it's like your mental model of like what it means to make these things, um, and then also as you start for the first time, like when you first try to do anything, you're like, oh shit, like you discover, oh, like I can't, and that and that's where like we were at the beginning, right? Of like. We don't even have the slightest idea because, like, all of a sudden we realize all the things we didn't even know were questions, like the door problem we talked about last week and stuff, right? Like, suddenly now you do have to solve it. And that's when you that's when you see that, oh, shit, how does this happen ever? How does anybody ever <laughs> successfully make a game? It seems literally impossible. And then as you solve more of those problems and discover that you are, as a person, are just capable of figuring lots of stuff out then even if you don't know how a thing would work, you can kind of imagine that you could figure it out. And now it's- Imagine the, the path to knowing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you kind of like keep on inching along there, but then you're still caught in a trap where if you haven't had to release a game into production, and in particular into an audience of a large number of people across different platforms and hardware configurations and, and so on, right? Then- because that part on the other side of that is like a million details, like Seth was talking about, right? It's like just a million things that have to be true and like and the amount of stability that you need, the mechanisms you need to do, deal with customer support, like all this kind of stuff, right, is the other part that you don't know about until you get there. And we didn't even think about that until we had to do it, like yeah. with a well, bunch and, of crash lands, right? Those, and those things have an illusory nature to them. So I'm yeah. thinking about the story of like of uh, Stardew Valley, right, which is – a dude really loved Harvest Moon, and he worked solo for like five years, um, uh, work, working odd jobs and supported by his girlfriend, you know, and just like putting as much time as he could into 
making this game. Um, and he, he didn't like all the stuff we're talking about. He didn't have a distribution pipeline. He didn't have a, a QA team. He didn't have a localization team. He didn't have any of those things. Right. Uh, and his game succeeded. Like it did really well. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that he just never had to bother with those things? No, he had to do it in an emergency way mm-hmm. after the fact, right? Because <laughs> yeah. once your game is out uh, and then you you do have um, people banging down your door who want your game in Portuguese and you've got bugs, bug reports coming in from players, but through all these weird like mechanisms like Twitter and stuff like that. And, you're, and you by yourself are trying to field the, you know, you're, you're still doing all the work, but you're just doing it at 200 miles per hour now while your tires are on fire, right? Yeah. Um, so we think about it as like there are things that need to happen, and they're going to either happen in a planned way, you know, during carefully and slowly, mm-hmm. uh, un- and within the speed limit. Yeah. Right. Or you know you're going to launch you're going to you're going to skip those things you're going to launch your game and if it and if it lands then everything's on fire for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, and, if it doesn't land, land with, then then you're fine. You know. Then right. that's great. Nothing yeah. to do. Um, yeah, and, and that's also a calculated risk because you can say like, well, if the game wasn't going to you know do well just at its core, then it would have been a waste of time for me to also localize and you know do all these other things because if it doesn't even land with like my own primary market in my own country, et cetera, then who's going to play it otherwise, right? And that's you know that's a fair thing mm-hmm. to that's a fair approach. Um, but if it does land, then you're going to have a bad time for a while, <laughs> you know, uh, which we found out with, with Crashlands because we did work on Crashlands for like a whole nother year after yeah. launching it, not just in terms of content updates, but just bug fixes. It was like 300 hours just to get controller support mm-hmm. into the game. Um, now we have controller support as a baseline continuous core part of our development process. Right. It's just it's just always a consideration for everything that we do. So we're spread it's still gonna take hundreds of hours of work over the, you know, entire lifetime of the game to make sure that controllers work potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be it'll be less than that because we've solved most of the problems. But, yeah. but the but, <laughs> but the fact it's is a, it's like, a built-in because that's what that's what makes it native, right? And also that's what makes yeah. it battle tested because the the controller scheme has now been in there since day one, which means it's been Developed against and tested since day one. It's had opportunities to see issues. Everything's designed with it in mind, and all the way through versus like original Crashlands, where we just had to say, given the game that we have, yeah, now how do shove it, this in. How there? do we shove controller support in there? And that's both from a design perspective for yeah. the experience part, but then also for the entirety of how the code works. Yeah, and we didn't have stuff in like in the original Crashlands, like the ability to go into the settings page and like change the the like aspect ratio you know stuff like that. Mm-hmm. you know like there were there were all these things that we just didn't have we didn't have any any languages either um we mm-hmm. we got chinese added later and that was all we were able to do because the game wasn't set up for that right yeah and it was so, a huge ordeal to get it, to get it, it, it was huge it took hundreds of hours yeah uh to, to get that language in there um and so it's weird because now we're working on crash ins 2 and it feels like in some ways we're developing the game slower because we have a longer timeline. Like we, we planned for a longer timeline to make the game from like start to finish than Crashlands 2 or than original Crashlands because that was a two-year game, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact is we're probably going to spend 
about the same amount of time working on each game. Mm-hmm. It's just that Crash, the original Crashlands, we had to spend a year working on it after we launched it <laughs> because because we because skipped too many steps, you know. But we had yeah. to because we didn't have any money left. Uh, I so think, you know, yeah, I think on the kind of easy hard question, I know for me it, it relates. I think to duration of a project, yeah. Which because the reality is like, and very few people actually in their in their like lives work on something that takes two fucking years mm-hmm. to finish and are working on on it the whole time. Yeah, uh, or three or four. Yeah, like you might yeah. jump, like a lot of people <laughs> jump jobs, you know, in the middle of projects and stuff like that. But like, yeah, working on a thing for two plus years. Is one of those things that I think I always I always imagined would be extremely extremely difficult, but I've actually found to be far easier than that. Especially as we've gotten all of our tools and stuff, and things things are basically the development is easier and more fun now. Uh, it's just easier to work on these things in like a long long form capacity. But I think the hard thing, the flip side hard thing about that is basically to me the confidence game, which is like the longer you work on something, at least for me, the more unease. I start to feel about my ability to actually rate it, to assess it, because you're, you've been just hanging out with it. Like even this idea of, yeah, we've had controller support from day one, right? Is it good anymore? Because like it sort of grew out of something, you know, from a while ago. And so uh, you're not coming at it fresh necessarily. It's like it's just been there and you already know how to play the game with this particular control schema, right? So your ability to assess those things starts going down in a way that uh, I think can make you, as the project goes on, divorced from the reality of the quality of the game uh, in a in a more negative way. Right? The longer, at least for me, like the longer I typically I work on something, if we don't do some play tests or get some other random people seeing the game um, in some capacity, then the more likely I am to start just slowly feeling like is this a piece is this, of shit? Is this a piece of shit? <laughs> like are we just working on a piece of good. Shit? That's actually, I think, a better state to be in than, than what it seems to be the more typical one, which is to, over time, be actually more bought into. Confidence. Yeah, more, more <laughs> bought into and an increase in confidence with time because you're like perfecting your little thing. You're like focusing on your little detail. Like, you know, and you have this thing that you imagine just is has become some kind of a reality and you've like planned around all these kind of uh, experiences that people are supposed to have when they play it, right? And so, because the other side of this that you see is is the classic like indie title launches gets critique, and the and the, and the developer just like cannot cannot handle that right, and it turns into some kind of a, a fight, turns into something like really dramatic, yeah, a, weird, a weird public thing, basically. Yeah, and 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 we're we're often and the, and the reality is like you get you get unfair criticism all the time once a thing hits the world, right? Mm-hmm. But you also do get fair criticism, you know, and and if you can't see it because you're so confident because you have what you think that you intended so to have, to right? It. Yeah, because you're so close to it that you can't like like Sam, what you're talking about, like you can't see it because you're worried that you can't see it. But the thing is, you're correct. That's right. You can't. Correct. You can't tell because you're too close to it. And you do need that outside stuff. So I think that's a good, as much as like, you don't want the anxiety that comes with it. I think it's a good. Yeah, I think, it's the, I, like I, I think it is a useful, it's a, it's a useful approach, but also um, it's, it's a heavier approach. I think as the project goes on and even as you hit, as you, in this case with Crash Science 2, you know, we set some really big uh, goals with it as far as just kind of everything about it uh, going from the original to, to the second one, as far as the world design, the kind of like a more of an ecology based world where things are happening and you're kind of like dealing with that fact uh your creatures interact with each other bigger stories a better build mode roofs for fuck's sake um <laughs> like 
all these things, right? Uh, and so I think that it's, I think the thing it starts, the first part of the anxiety is like, can you even build it? Can you, you know, like, geez, can you figure this out? And then once you start, once you cross that one, then you start getting into, I think the weirder one toward the, I think kind of where we're at and onward now, which is like, okay, uh, we're building it. We're definitely building the, toward the target. And then it's but like, are we wrong? <laughs> but are we wrong? Yeah. Did we build the wrong thing? And I think, I think that's always, uh, that's much, it's a thing I never thought about before because we were so consumed with just being able to build stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like we've moved definitely in the last, I'd say like probably middle of level head and then kind of onward from there into this more of a pretty confident whenever we set our sights on building something, we can build it. And so it's much less about that and more about the anxiety around like. Yeah. Which is such correct. a worse position to be in, you know, terrible. Like, what when you life. can only build one what thing, oh, life is so simple. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you build that thing and if it worked, great. And if not, well, dang it. You know, well, that I wasn't mean, your fault because that was all you could do. You know, <laughs> So once you can do all kinds of things, then yeah, it's your fault. You know, if you, like 100%. Up, you, know, you, you just, you just made a bad call. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's it for me. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. 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 So there's. So as a as a final note, it's like, is there anything else that's easier than you expected? Besides, we talked a lot about the things duration. that are hard. Oh no, I mean the, that's what I was saying. Like, I think the easier thing is weirdly enough is working on a project for a very long mm. time. I found to be pretty. It's just very enjoyable now, especially because even you know the original Crashlands, we like got really tired like halfway through and just made a bunch of games, <laughs> flop rocket. <laughs> yeah, it's like a. Well, we were also broke as fuck, but yeah, um, we were broke as fuck. Uh, but, but one thing, like, one thing yeah. I was wondering, thinking about though too, is that I always felt earlier in our career that uh, the easy part of making a game was at the beginning, and the hard part was the slog of just like mm, the, the mid yeah, to later point of production. It. Yep, I feel totally opposite now because yeah. now, like, we're making larger games, which is what we do now. Like, we make you know games that are much have much bigger systems and stuff. Um, it's so hard at the beginning because you don't have anything. And yeah. I find it, I find it far easier to design when I'm iterating on something that yeah. exists. Right. And I also I find editing way easier than creating. Yeah. And I can't simulate all these systems in my head and answer like, what should, uh, like, what should our buff debuff system look like? Or like, how should armor work? You know, I have no idea. And so, uh, but once, yeah, you, once the game starts to settle, then doing more work on it becomes easier over time. So. Yeah, yeah. No, you had a you had a much harder time at the start of Crashlands Two, Dev. Uh, I think because of that particular tendency, right? It's easier yeah. to iterate well, than not. You just don't have the systems yet to be able to. Well, and, and I think, um, and I don't, I don't know if this is an ADHD thing or if it if this is more of a universal thing. But um, when you're talking about the idea of like baking in stuff like controller support, you know, mm-hmm. uh, across the course of the game. Um, one of the things that really makes it difficult for me to work on a game is having a lot of sort of unfinished threads just kind of Mm -hmm. hanging loose. And it's far easier to have no controller support at all uh, and then to just only work on controller support. Mm -hmm. Because like if you're only working on controller support, then you know that other parts of the game aren't, you know, changing and deteriorating (laughs) uh, while you're working on controller support. And you can put all your focus into making the controller support good, right? Mm-hmm. But if controller support is just something that's passively exists um, throughout the game, right? Then it adds more consideration to everything that you do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't consider it, then you'll end up with these kind of like, you know, these like unfinished 
parts of the UIs just kind of sprinkled throughout mm -hmm. where like it mostly works with the controller, but it's not that good, right? <laughs> and then every time you play it, you got to kind of deal with that. And so I, I found that to me, that's actually been one of the harder parts of making a game of this of this size with all these considerations kind of baked in throughout is oh, we, yeah. we have this big vision of all the different things that we need, but they're not all totally there yet. But they're, yeah, there's, a lot of them are mostly yeah. in, but not completely. Yeah. So, and, and they can be until they're all in because they all interact with each other anyway. You know, you can't yeah. have full controller support for systems that don't even yet exist, you know, like at yeah. some point. Yeah. Or for UIs that are placeholder UIs just to like get some stuff on screen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it, that, well, that's, it's all, it's, you know, it's all kind of a, a hassle, I guess. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big hassle. Big hassle. Short way to put it. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have uh, for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DeCoster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.